Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Well, hello, everyone. Hey! It's uh, good to see you all, even though we don't see you. Alex and I were just talking. We just took a little screenshot for YouTube. If you watch this it's on because Facebook. because I actually walked into the office like with time to spare. Yeah, so we actually have been planning this podcast for about two and a half minutes. Yeah, whereas last week we planned it for about two and a half seconds. So brace yourself for some extremely high quality content. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your friends, quick, run, dash. Yeah, share it to everyone. Um, uh such a thing has never been seen before. <laughs> if you uh, if you watch this over on Facebook, you don't get to appreciate, at least not right off the bat, you don't get to appreciate our screenshots. Sometimes we do a little preview screenshot. And, and Aaron's um, face we were, is not sad at we're, all. We're supposed to be making sad faces because we're talking about sadness or grief or whatever you want to call it uh, today. And uh my sad face my my lips are sad and my eyes are like so focused on taking a photograph uh-huh but alex's looks really my sad i've got my sad eyes going there and stuff one of the most embarrassing things i don't know if you can share this kind of thing on the podcast but one of the most embarrassing things we're that, about to. <laughs> that ever happened to me in college was um one of my lecturers my professors said you have just really sad eyes like or you have like these eyes that are just so like and and then she said and it makes you want to just you know you know it makes you want to just take him home and and then she realized like the ambiguity of what she was saying and how like again she's a professor and she was she was being just very sweet and and realized that she shouldn't be saying what she's saying and said and then give and, and give you a doggy basket um and just and it was this this very weird moment i was everybody thought it was hilarious but i was apparently i have sad eyes apparently i have these eyes that like have this like ambiguous sad feel to them yeah i don't know i, I always thought i had happy eyes yeah i don't know if i anyway. agree you're, you're kind of a jolly fellow uh, yeah uh, maybe i can just go to a contemplative sad but aaron's face does not look sad at all <laughs> not in, uh, not in our screenshot deeply concentrated in our screenshot like he's trying to take a screenshot um and so, but this week we do get to talk about sadness, which as Enneagram people um, is probably not natural to either of us. So not only did I not ask someone who was good at sadness to preach, but we didn't even invite someone who was good at sadness to this conversation. No. Well, although I've, because of the last couple of years of my life, I've experienced uh, some emotions differently so much so that I've questioned my Enneagram number being a seven. Uh, yeah. And I keep wondering, like, am I actually a seven or was that like a fake self that was like just trying well, to pretend which, like which it Which makes happy. sense because, and again, some of you are Enneagram people out there. If you've never done it, it's worth looking into because it's one of those rare personality tests that it has some spirituality connected to it. It does help you in your relationship with God, I would suggest. Um, and it, it, it is actually like at its best form. It doesn't just say, hey, isn't it great that you're you? Just keep being you, which is what I think a lot of personality tests can be. It's like, here are your strengths. Here are your weaknesses. Just live into your strengths and life will be great. And the Enneagram actually at its core does a lot more work of like, no, this is your great temptation or vice. You have to learn to be aware of this. Um, yeah. And so that that in itself is is helpful, I think. Totally. Um, and... and yeah, at the same time, I would say my belief as a seven is that everybody really wants to be a seven. Uh, that they that they like long to be just the happy, jolly seven. 
Yeah. Um, and that the rest of you all are just suffering and just, you know. I don't know. I admire a lot of other types uh, a lot. Yeah, well, I didn't say sevens want to be sevens, I guess. I just said everybody else. <laughs> sevens just look like they're having so much fun all the time. Like, how can you not want to do that? Um, Fair enough. No, th- so uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were streaming from Florida, I made, I, I opened our session with like three or four confessions. Mm. One that I wasn't drinking tea. Mm. Yeah. Do would you like to I would tell never us do something? That. I'm actually drinking hot chocolate. Wow. Um, and, and it was partly because, so it was all Aaron's fault because he didn't have any milk left. And so I'd come to rely on him for this one thing. And, it's and my fault that, that you've come it. to rely on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I needed the milk and it wasn't there. <laughs> so now I'm, uh, I'm sat here drinking hot chocolate and a guy's drinking tea podcast. Well, I have a confession as well. You're not this was tea. a little bit closer to home maybe for you. I didn't actually hear your sermon on Sunday. Wow. And so here's what's going on. <laughs> um, wow. We and had I our sat projectors. worship twice. <laughs> I know. You just are a kinder person than me. Our projectors kept failing on us on Sunday. And so I spent both services uh, looking around at different equipment and trying to figure things. And then in between services, I was ripping apart our sound booth to try and get our projectors to work properly again. And then I went to, to now we've talked about this sermon before mm. it happened, yeah. but uh, I realized today when I sat down, I was like, normally I like, you said this, and then mm. I love this point and this thing. I don't have that for you, you today. Don't that, yeah. I don't know if I loved it. No, well, you can't, it's hard to love something that you didn't participate in. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of at the mercy, like you, you can just run the show here. Oh, wow. Sadness. But you, in our two minutes of preparation for this podcast, uh, you started talking about some interesting stuff. Well, I don't know if we it, should yeah. jump into that. Well, again, I'm trying to convince myself to do this stuff at the beginning ish. This is the beginning ish. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I always tell people to like, subscribe, share all that stuff. Cause it's all helpful with the digital world and stuff to get this, uh, content out there. So if you, like to do that great if not so so that's fine too I love um it. the other piece is a little bit of an overview of where we headed today so would you give us an overview of what are we talking about in this today's show so and again what well, we've been talking about emotions for a few weeks now and and just trying to wrestle with some of those things like how, how we process some of those deep especially the day emotions some of the time we'd call bad emotions um, but I think we're trying to get away from that language. We're trying to use the language more of like difficult, uncomfortable emotions, painful, yeah. painful emotions, um, trying to, trying to look at like, where do they come from a little bit, but also like, where do they send us? What do they move us into very quickly? And, and, and how might processing them a little bit better actually help us in our relationships with each other? That, that's always a win. Like I think for us at South, we believe part of the church's mission goal vision is to is to help people have better relationships with each other but we also uh, want to think about that bigger picture of a relationship with god like how how do our relationships get in the way there how does god speak into our emotions so this coming week in actual fact like this sunday we're going to talk about fear which is an interesting one because how do you deal with an emotion where god says like 300 and something times do not fear um that's a difficult one but maybe you feel shame about feeling fear potentially yeah but but this week talking about sadness how do you process an emotion that we see god have like god is the first person in the bible to express sadness based around like the the way that we talked about it sunday he sees Mm. a world that is a mess and and he is sad about it um so so today we get to talk about that a little bit and uh uh, and really just try and process like one there's a whole bunch of us all of us experience sadness um but there's a few of us that feel like we are sad people and that's probably not either of us although i think you started to tap into that just a little bit your journey over the last couple of years i think you had moments where you probably questioned a little bit wow have i become a sad person yeah um or or, or have i always been perhaps a sad person yeah the, there was times there, yeah, I, I, you know, in in after the fact, joked about it with some friends uh, about like, 
a seven going through the dark night of the soul is just like an average day for some, <laughs> for some people. <laughs> um, like one of the darkest seasons of my life. And I was mm. like, you know, I'd say a still a decent chunk of percentage of my day was filled with, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but no, there was, there was months and months at a time where I was grieving over various different things and I would wake up and just be deeply sad. Mm. Um, for, for months on end. And mm. then it made me doubt. Interestingly, when you go through a, an extended season of that, call it depression, call it um, grief, whatever, uh, however you define those things, which we could get into, but um, there's different ways that you could describe them. It, it starts to make you question your identity. Mm. Like yeah. for me, as someone who's typically laid back, happy-go-lucky, I became more cynical. I became harder to be around. Maybe I'm still harder to be around sometimes so no, since I, but then. I, I, I think I actually would say, like, even for me, who's only known you for like a year and a half, I can see a shift. Like, and I think you've said like a couple of times, almost like, there's almost a sense that, that I've never even met you as you were at one point, but... I've seen a shift back in that direction, even like taking some time away on sabbatical, getting some space to process and just reflect and, and, and enter into some practices. Like the, there's a little bit more of an ease. I think that, that even, that I can see even not having seen the, the amazing energy of like the, whatever year that was, or, you know, the, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but even like we went, Aaron and I went snowboarding, uh, the other day. Uh, and and like he's flying down these mountains with no helmet after not being snowboarding for like 12 years and and, and seeing just a <laughs> don't little tell, bit of, don't tell my wife that <laughs> listen darn it i told my wife she's not allowed to listen so i can say whatever uh, you say want whatever. um but but you see like the 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 the, the like the happy go luckiness there almost of like oh it's gonna be fine um, that's yeah. like the, the language of an Enneagram seven. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I like our, our words to It'll live all by. Work It'll out. figure itself out. What, what's the that's worst right. that can happen? Um, so I think, yeah, I, I can, I can say that I've seen a bit of that. I, I genuinely have not been through maybe just one period of sadness, maybe that I could, could locate. Um, but for the most part, I just live for the most part in that fairly, fairly comfortable place of no i'm i'm mostly upbeat and sadness is very much episodal as opposed to dispositional it's a thing that happens and i tend to process mm. it quite quickly now, now that's not to say there won't be things in my future that will lead me into the deep places of sadness oh and i think you have to be prepared for that um yeah totally and recognize you're going to have to learn to deal with that. But I know there's definitely some people that will listen to this that would say, no, I'm, I'm regularly and often sad. And so the challenge there for me was, I think actually God causes, and Jesus seems to do this really naturally and well to hold sadness and gladness together. Um, like he seems to do that. He seems to be able to, like even the, the, the weird phrase, like for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, joy and cross don't belong together. And Jesus somewhere there is embracing the gladness of living in God's purpose and the sadness of what he's experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, that that maybe allows us, when we are glad, to sit with sad people. Mm. Um, and, and when we are sad, to enter intentionally into gladness, to realize that's actually a, a like that, that that's a responsibility of a follower of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't mean the sadness will go away. But three times, Paul says in like just a short space of writing to a church in, in Philippi, he says, rejoice. Like, yeah. And this is a church that's experiencing like political upheaval, experiencing poverty, experiencing, I mean, they're basically living our lives. And, and Paul's like, no, you will rejoice. Um, that's your job and responsibility as a follower of Jesus. So how do you, so I've wrestled with this. And I, I tuned into the tail end of the message, obviously. I, I probably heard the last 10 minutes of both first and second service. And one of my questions then for the, with that idea is how do you make yourself feel joy? It, do emotions work that way? Do you just to say, 
I am going to flip on the joy switch. Mm-hmm. The Bible tells me to be joyful. Mm. So flip on the joy switch. How does that actually work? I, I think, I think, so I, I would, my feeling would be you can't make a feeling happen, but you can make a practice happen. Did you make yourself feel that? I don't know. I didn't, sorry. No, I think it was just organic. <laughs> my head's about to explode. Yeah, I, I'm down a rabbit hole. Um, help. I, yeah, my, I mean, I don't, uh, let me say that I don't think it's useful to sit around trying to make a feeling happen, but we do know that there is ambiguity to between feelings and um and emotions like what what which is which are they the same thing like when we think about love like love is very much a choice practice is it an emotion i don't know if it is but i also don't know that it isn't like that that like decision like i feel things for my wife i feel things for my kids and yet i also make a practical decision every day to love them even when that's not a particularly easy thing um Hmm. even when my kids are acting the way that they act at times um and i noticed the distinction there between my girls my oldest kids and and my son jude um there's something about a father-daughter relationship that makes it easier to feel a lot of those things, I think. And and certainly earlier on for, with Jude, it was more of a practice. Um, no, y- you actually are rubbing me up the wrong way in a different way to the way that the girls ever did. I expect more of you than I ever expected of them. Um, I see you and I see me in a way that I never did with the girls. Uh, so, so there was more disciplined love for Jude at, a, at an age mm. that, 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 that just wasn't there for the girls. For the girls, it felt so easy. Um, and so I think even just that example tells us that there's a difference between just feeling joy and practicing joy uh, and that maybe feelings follow that, but there is still a responsibility to enter into the big story of God, which is inherently joyful. You know, that it makes me, it makes me wonder if, all of these emotions, both the good emotions, the painful, like the what, the desirable emotions and the painful emotions. If um, it seems like week after week, as, we, as we've been having these conversations, it almost is like we're challenging people to engage this emotion with intention. You've talked about it uh, several times throughout the series to see it as information and data mm-hmm. that informs I how you gave me that quote, to be fair to you. Um, which I isn't mine either, but um, so to see it as this helpful thing, but in order to get the something good out of both the pain and the joy, you have to sort of steward this mm. emotion wisely. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying now with with love, with sadness, is or even the challenge to say feel joy. It's it's a, some measure of intentionality to say, I i don't even know how that works, but mm. I'm going to try and lean in and figure yeah, out yeah. how it works. Yeah. It's all, everyone. Um, and it's hard to believe that when we, again, to go back to the language of feeling that Jesus felt joyful about the cross. Um, that That's a hard thing to sort of. Well, it said for the joy set before yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, Did yeah. it say he felt joy? about the cross or did he say ooh for the joy set before him like the promise of joy he endured the cross and, and isn't that maybe what we're talking about when we talk about entering into sadness as well like it, it's a decision to believe that god will bring the story to the right place um and and it, and it may not make sense now but it will make sense um yeah i think that 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 just like and and a, an illustration I would give around that is Laura and I had a um, a, a child she was pregnant and we lost the child. Now she definitely felt a greater sadness around that than I did. I mean, again, she's carrying the child. She's um, she, she she 
yeah, she she had like the the flutterings of of like this new thing growing within her, this this person growing within her. Um, she the was motherly instinct, all those different things, and and there's language that people would use that would say um, maternal love is instinctual and and per, uh, paternal love is learnt behaviour. Hmm. Um, but she she definitely had this big emotion for it, this big sadness that went in in with it. I had to enter into her sadness by choice and sit with her in that and not just rush through it. Um, and we were actually traveling uh, together. We actually had this one trip that we would take every year and it happened right after um, mm. th this, we lost this child. And, and it was definitely a different trip to any of our other trips. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, for me, some of that was this intentional joining in her sadness which felt different to me. Um, and yet both of us had to enter into the idea of joy that you know, a friend came up to me and said, isn't it incredible that you'll see that child in heaven? Uh, you'll engage with them and know who they are. And I didn't need the theological basis, but there was this suddenly mo sudden moment of like, wow, yeah. I I'd not really thought about that. I get to enter into the, the future joy that God will bring even that story and bring like this good goodness out of it. Mm. Um, and so maybe that is what we're seeing with Jesus. And maybe that's what we're called to do as well. I certainly don't think I'm meant to suggest we have to feel good. Um, but I do think that there is a, a, a an idea that God will bring all stories to the right place. Uh, and that's an exciting thing. Yeah. I, I So I threw out this idea, one of the daily devotions, I was wrestling through how to write and stuff. And I wrote this line, I don't know how it ended, I honestly don't even remember which week it was or whatever, but it was just more of my processing of these different emotions as we've been going through the series. And it 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 keeps coming back to mind, and I, I, maybe I'll ask you what you think of this idea. I, I feel like emotions are an invitation into something. Mm. Every emotion is actually an invitation into a journey of some sort and you can either take the invitation which is like it's it's choosing to lean in observe the emotion figure out why it exists in your life and then grow from it um and each one's a different kind of an invitation mm. but they they're all these invitations that we that sort of swell up from within us to engage in super help healthy ways or to disengage and disassociate and in unhealthy ways in some some way, shape, or form. I don't even know if that's true, mm. but I sort of wrote it. I think it's true of whichever emotion I was writing it about. <laughs> I'd have to go back and write a, read my own devotion. Which if it was last week would maybe be anger, right? Um, but maybe sadness. Yeah. So, but what do you think of something like that? Like mm. sadness as an invitation to something. Well, certainly an invitation to make a choice somewhere, perhaps. We just started to wrestle with, and, and depending on how theological you are, you may want to go to this place or not, but the first emotion of sadness is God's emotion at seeing the world. And you could make this argument, it leads to violence, or it leads to God saying, I'm going to destroy the world and save one person and his family and two and we're talking about the Noah's Ark. Talking about, so talking about the Noah's, which is a story that that's present outside of the the scriptures as well. And so some people would say this Genesis writer is taking this story and saying, no, this is what it really means. But but you definitely see that sadness linked to anger, um, linked to destruction. And we don't even need to say whether the destruction is right or wrong, but I know so many people, so many followers of Jesus that that have wrestled with that mm. incident. I remember, I remember actually my dad saying to me something like, like when when I was growing it and starting to follow Jesus for myself, said one of his big wrestlings was he said, like, if God did that, then in my mind that was evil. And I'm like, wow, like I'd never heard anyone express a tension of faith like that. Uh, it was my first encounter with that. And I remember waking up the next morning, like, did I dream that? Did that really happen? Um, and, and then Jesus almost takes that because, yeah, I, I think we have to believe that Jesus 
takes old stories and says, no, this is what God is really like. He takes things like an eye for an eye and he says, no, don't do that. That's such a bad idea. Um, which is, is again, like a, a, a hard hermeneutic in some ways. Jesus believes he has the authority to take Old Testament law and say, nope, don't do it like that. Yeah, the Bible says this, but I disagree. You should do this instead. Yeah. Jesus does that all over the place. There's no, I've said this before, maybe in the show even, but it's no wonder that the that the religious leaders wanted to kill this guy. If he's not God, he was a big time blasphemer. Yeah, and and if like if he was just a man, it's like me saying, um, exactly. Oh, Jesus said this, but like no. Imagine, yeah, imagine right. Alex stands up on a Sunday morning, uh -huh. says, "Put away your Bible." Yeah. Uh, you've, that Bible says this, but I disagree completely. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. Let's say that's the equivalent of what and Jesus then does. If I was to say, oh, you know, that Easter ceremony that we do, that service that we do this year, it's all about me. We're going to sing songs about how incredible I am. <laughs> like, like it's again, if he was just human, that's what he's doing. Um, and yet like the, the most obvious explanation to me is that he's more than just a human. Um, and, and that then it all makes sense. He takes that story or something similar. He stands looking over Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. I would love to gather you like a hen gathers his chicks, but you won't let me. Uh, and then he goes and dies for the people in that city. So we have this Old Testament story that sees uh, anger or sadness lead to anger, lead to violence. And then this New Testament story that sees sadness lead to violence against the person who is sad for the people. Uh, now, if this is, um, I, I feel like we should pause briefly and maybe give a few frameworks. Like if this is one of the issues that you've wrestled with or the whole idea of Noah's Ark or the Old Testament and why is the God of the Old Testament different than the New? Like, I don't think we have time to get into all of the details of it. Um, but what I will say is um, I think, I think that if those texts bother you, then they're working correctly. Hmm. Yeah, I, I like think that. they're yeah, supposed to. Yeah. I th and um, I was, you know, I've been listening to this, um, this Christian rabbi, a Messianic Jew, mm. Jew uh, teaching through the Torah or the first five books yeah, of the, what does of he the say Old Testament. The Interesting. Yeah. There's a couple things. I don't get into all the details of it, but um, one of his big laments is that we as we have this tendency in evangelical world or in Christianity, if you've been around it long enough, that those things bothered us initially. Mm -hmm. And then maybe over time, we didn't get the answers we wanted, or they scared us too much. And for various different reasons, we eventually just sort of start to just push down those concerns about mm -hmm. those passages and then say, no, 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 no. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fine. God's in control. He's loving. Um, mm. Look at Jesus. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, don't look at that guy. Yeah. Look at Jesus. <laughs> you know, and we have this tendency to just avoid those hard passages because um, we don't have explanations. And he said, if it seems like it doesn't match, if a text seems like it doesn't match the character of God, it's supposed to haunt you. It's yes. supposed to make you dig and fight and wrestle and cry out to God and say, why, what was this? What was going on here? And we, we tend to take the easy way out and just avoid those passages oh. or say, I'm not sure and move on and stuff. Um, this is actually, especially Hebrew literature is designed to make you meditate, to absolutely. make you to wrestle re yeah, for wrestle a lifetime. It. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, and I'll give you a little hint at some of his wrestlings, his personal wrestlings with that particular story. Um, there's actually a couple things going on. Uh, it doesn't take all of the challenge away, but the final image of the rainbow, it's not rainbow in Hebrew. Mm. It's bow and arrow. Ah. Like there is no Hebrew word for rainbow, according to him. Um, he said, it's just bow. And like over the years we've interpreted it as a rainbow in the sky. And that may very well be the very thing that he used as an image. But the idea is it's a weapon that he places in the sky facing towards him. Because he says, never again wow. uh, in the future, I take the hit. Wow. And then yeah, that's yeah. confirmed all throughout the Torah multiple yeah. times. Even like there's all these little illusions 
um, in the story of Noah and uh, I mean, in the story of Moses Mm -hmm. leading the people of God over and over and over again, these moments where we kind of think that God's lashing out at the people, he's actually taking the hit for Mm -hmm. the people over and over and over again, which is completely consistent with the way of Jesus. And you you know, I think I used this as, as an illustration not long ago, but your sort of like reflection on old versus new Testament, how we tend to create that division it always reminds me of the Cohen brothers brilliant movie hail caesar they've got this moment where uh, a rabbi and a catholic priest and a protestant minister are sitting around discussing and and one of them says jesus is god's son and the rabbi says no 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 god doesn't have a family he's a bachelor and he's very very angry um and and then the the protestant minister says no 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 he used to be angry but he isn't anymore and like that simplistic divide just simply doesn't work no, uh, that just isn't a good way to read the scriptures that we've been given. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, totally. the, that, that running thread of God stepping in for his people um, and expressing that longing, which is really a kind of sadness. So especially you see that in Hosea, I think, like you see that picture of, of, of a prophet who marries a prostitute and keeps taking her back even when she's unfaithful. And God says, that's what I'm like. Like, I'm going to keep doing that. And yeah. Keep even finding new ways to do that. His yeah, sadness yeah, totally. constantly finds ways to pull us back in. And I think what, one of the things that I think is helpful, like thinking through how emotions can be formational for us, how they can transform us and, and help us follow Jesus in new, better ways. I've got this sort of suspicion that I'll try and unpack a bit this week that fear is the 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 ground level emotion for almost all of our negative or, or all of our difficult emotions. Hmm. Like I think most of the time when we see fear, when, when we experience fear, it leads to sadness or it leads to anger or it leads to some of these other things. I feel like when sad is the like ground level emotion, we have an opportunity to to become as God would have us become in the world. God looks at a world and is sad. And then in Jesus asks the question, what can I do about that? And I think for mm. us to look at a world and to be sad and say, what is God calling me to do about that? It is actually this incredibly formational practice. There's a repeated phrase to, to, to experience transformation. You have to go to the dark places in the world or to experience God. You have to go to the dark places in the world. Mm. Usually in the midst of the trauma that you see, you actually end up finding the God that feels like he's not there in that moment. Yeah. Because he hangs out with Uh people who are hurting. Yeah. So almost every time, every, every person that I've known that's done something incredible. uh, I have a a couple of friends that run uh, anti-sex slavery charities where they're really doing their best to pull mostly Mm -hmm. girls, but boys as well out of, out of slavery, especially in the sex trade. And, and Mm. it starts off with this deep sadness that borders on anger and then it leads to action. Interesting. I think that that tension, so you talked about it a couple of times, even in this show, this tension of like, there's the sadness, but there's this invitation to joy. And what you're describing now is actually this journey between the two. Mm, yeah. Because um, one of the, my favorite prayers, and we just went through a series recently through the Lord's prayer. But this, one of my favorite sections of that Lord's Prayer is, uh, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And that that phrase is loaded with deep sadness mm-hmm. and deep joy and mm-hmm. hope for mm, the future. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, when that, when that prayer started to really function in my life as a spiritual practice was when I looked around me at, at the world that was broken and just grieved. Like, it's not supposed to be like this. Yeah. And like, I I remember when this prayer really hit me, I was literally moved to tears because, and then that, the brokenness of the world, and then you say, Lord, let your kingdom come. And you see a picture mm. of his kingdom, which is a place of shalom and peace where love reigns, where, um, where the hurt, where hurt people are taken care of, where the widow and the orphan is cared for, yeah, all yeah. of these different things, and then so you have a prayer that's both marked by sadness, Lord. It's not supposed to be this way. Let, 
but let your kingdom come. And I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's this tremendous sadness we, mixed with this beautiful joy. Which we, is, we tend to turn that really quickly into like the, there's a place up there that reflects totally. all of God's and that, that can still be true. But for for a person hearing Jesus, it's probably like this Isaiah 65 passage mm. always comes to mind for me. Like when he paints a picture of a new heavens and a new earth, he says stuff like this, like never again will it be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. They will build houses and dwell in them. I mean, you grew up in an environment where people built houses that were taken from them. Um, and, and like the, the, almost the painting of the picture, no, that's not going to happen totally. anymore in this kingdom. And, and, and to that, to this people, that would be a common idea. No, though they experienced regularly what it was to have invasion, to have land taken from them, property taken from them. Um, the crops that don't fail is just another simple picture that he gives, like there will be enough to eat in this kingdom. Yeah. For these people, it probably went to very very earthly ideas and and totally. for us too when we experience that sadness of this doesn't feel like how the world should be operating that seems to be what god is doing when he sees the world of genesis 6 and it seems to be what jesus is doing when he weeps at the tomb of his friend and watches how it affects his their family mm. uh, and when he stands over jerusalem and looks at it and says no all of them have that common thread of the sadness is, no, it shouldn't be like this. Mm. And when we take that and we we move it to action, it seems like we are acting like God in the world. So maybe that that is the invitation to have joy. Mm. It's to, like, it it's to not ignore the sadness or the brokenness of the world, but it's to acknowledge that fully and then also acknowledge that the God that we serve, the God that we follow has answers and solutions that he's working out in the world. Yeah. That brings so much joy. Like there, you mean there's a hope mm-hmm. and a future and something in, even in the midst of my sadness, it may not be upon me today mm-hmm. or may not even feel like it. it's upon me, but that's the invitation. To and have I think joy. that, and, and what I probably did not particularly elegantly get across, but, but was trying to get across in that was, if you are dispositionally sad, your temptation is probably to go back to bed and put the blankets over your head and just say, I'm going to pretend like I can't deal with this world out there. This is a mess. Mm -hmm. And, and if you are dispositionally, maybe more like you or I, your temptation is to, to hide from the sadness in a completely different way. We just go out into the world and pretend that it's not there as well. Yeah, we're the everything is awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're very lego people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the invitation is to actually enter into it, um, regardless. Yeah, and you can't, uh, you can't feel either the joy as palpably if you haven't also entered into the sadness. Mm. Hmm. So, um, a couple of the notes. I feel like we'd be remiss not to mention a few things because we didn't directly go into a ton of deep stuff on anxiety mm-hmm. um, and depression. But I think, I think it'd be important. Like, first of all, the shame conversation we had a few, a few um, weeks ago that Kevin preached on. If you, I know that there's this weird mixture when it comes to depression, grief and anxiety. Sometimes it's so intertwined with shame because you almost feel ashamed that you're feeling this Mm -hmm. thing. I know that's how I experience negative emotions because I'm normally such a happy, go lucky kind of person. I felt embarrassed by and shameful by my negative emotions. Um, And first of all, like when we talk about this, we don't want you to experience that side of it. But then the other piece of it is what's the role of medication in this process? Mm -hmm. Um, Do we condone that? And then, are you less of a person if you if you are naturally inclined towards being more of a melancholy soul or struggle with anxiety? Let's let's address that. Yeah, I mean it's easy just to say no, right? And and it can be true and easy, but not easy to get across. Totally. Um, and we do shame, I think, so well in this country. Um, 
and mm. I mean in the negative sense, because it's it's not like an obvious shame culture. Like there are obvious shame cultures all over the world. Like mm. again, historically in places like Japan, if you felt like if you if you missed the mark, there was ritual suicide. All of these different things tied into it. There was a culture that was very much on the surface one of, of mm. shame and what happened and how you process that. Uh, we, we've become, I think, a shame culture in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think a good picture of that is, is how we do or don't talk about sex in, in America. Like we're embarrassed to talk about it in Christian circles. And yet there's this whole other shift um, outside of the church world where it's like, if you're not having sex with everybody you meet and just whoever you want, there's something wrong with you as well. Like this, the shame hitting that conversation from all sorts of directions and our students mm. and our young people are right in the vortex of that. They're in a church world when nobody will talk about it. And it's like, if you have those feelings, there's something wrong with you. Uh, and then from their friends outside of the thing, the, the, the church, they're like, no, no, you should have been doing this stuff ages ago. What's wrong with you? Yeah. It's, it's shame and it's shame. And it's like this, this secret undercurrent thing. So, yeah. so I think we constantly shame people about their emotions and their feelings. Yeah. And then um, there's historically, especially, and I think that, you know, by God's grace, this is less and less the case within the church, but historically there, there was a lot of shame around if you ended up having to take a antidepressant or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And now I think that that's less of an issue. I think so. But it's not, I don't. I don't necessarily think it's all the way gone for some folks. I don't think. I mean, that's one of the things that, like, like Laura. I'm quite happy to say Laura and I have a marriage counselor that we spend time with. Now, quite often, what I'll do is I'll I'll caveat that for people. Not, I don't think because of shame. I'll say something like, "It's not that we feel like we're in a bad place. It's just that we we would love to work hard to be to have the best marriage we possibly could." Um, and we realize that there's good conversations that this person can lead us in. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I caveat it, it is, is to say to people, you don't have to be in a bad place to do this. There's nothing to feel shamed about. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but again, like same with the antidepressants, the soon as we heard people say at least 10, 15 years ago, I, I have a counselor, uh, that I'm going to, you're like, wait, are you guys thinking about getting divorced? Wait, are you thinking about committing suicide? Wait, are you... Like the, there was an assumption that it was crisis, yeah, um, not formation. Yeah. So, I mean, just on that front, I think I know I have, I have friends, some of whom are continually on some sort of mm -hmm. um, medication yeah. for anti-depression uh, or anti-anxiety medication or depression, which is... Mm -hmm tends to be two different medications for mm -hmm. those two things, which is a whole other conversation, separating depression, anxiety, which we could get into maybe, but I don't know if we have time. I, when I was um, struggling over the last few years, I went through about six months where I was on an, yeah. uh, I think, I don't remember what it was. Um, and I, I've seen some of the most beautiful transformations in certain people's lives when they finally get over the shame of that mm -hmm. and actually engage in it. It's yes. like there's, they've lived in a certain space and then they, they finally say, no, I need some help. They mm -hmm. go see a doctor, they get some medication. And then it's like, it was almost like this one piece of the puzzle that was preventing them from fully engaging in yes. the way of Jesus, the way that they, longed to and it was like oh they just that was a thing that was removed from them and then they're running headlong and into and, the future and at the same time there's also no shame in getting to that point where you say you know what i'd like to not be on medication so i'm going to look at other we've got some really great friends that come to south nate and Lindsay. they're our chiropractors they also do some great work with dia and all of those different things so especially for laura they've been so helpful in saying like this is some of the stuff that you're reading and how it's affecting you. Um, totally. Make some of these shifts and your quality of life will go up. The, again, like whatever you decide is the, the best journey in this area, there is no shame regardless. Um, and part of the reason I think we have wholeness as a value on the wall is that we didn't want to be the church 
that said everything's just as simple as um believe as, but believe more believe more pray say more. this prayer do this practice like it's so much more complex than that so much more uh, and again just to confirm that that's what it turned out to me and i don't want to be like advocate for this route but i realized as a seven avoidance of pain is a high motivator for me mm-hmm. and so i went into a dark season and i think that that the medication helped me initially break out of some like some pretty significant anger that i was experiencing as a side effect Mm -hmm. of that dark season um and it sort of like took off that edge for me but then as i was meeting with um, some mentors and going through some process uh, of like trying to explore where's the sadness and grief coming from i realized this medication is preventing me from actually exploring mm-hmm. the dark place. Yeah. And because it just made me feel almost nothing. So I made a calculated risk, um, which was to go off of it, not so so that I could intentionally not avoid the pain. Mm-hmm. And and man, I wept a lot during those after it sort of works your its way out of your mm-hmm. system, which takes multiple weeks. Yeah. But I was in a place on sabbatical and willing and had the time to actually go deep and dark and feel all the feels. And I'm glad I did. I'm not recommending that. That may not be the journey for you. Some of my friends, again, they live with it their whole lives. And they're like, I have no intention of ever going off because it actually helps me in my journey with Jesus. Yeah. For me, at that time, it would have been another avoidance of of the real issues going on deep down. And that and that like, but that that comes back to the shame question again of like, regardless of your place in the journey. And, and this is true. Like, what I don't see particularly from Jesus at all is even when the thing is sin. And and with these things, we're not talking about sin. We're talking about choice. Yeah. Even when it's sin, shame is not how he deals with it. Totally. Um, and, and we we so often deal with it. So I get to talk to like numerous couples that like are experiencing different stages of life. But one of the things that I think we do is like, especially we do, I tell you where we do this a lot with couples that are, are not yet married, that they've come to know Jesus, that they're living mm-hmm. together. And we're like, we see them like this. We see them as somewhat separated and we're like, God is mad at you, 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 mad at you. And then you come together and you do a ceremony and now God's happy. Um, and, and that just isn't the picture mm-hmm. that, that Jesus creates. Jesus language is constantly, I have more for you. I have more for you. It's an invitation. I have more for you. There's an invitation in, I have more for you. Um, the, there's never shame involved. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a more beautiful way. Like, why don't you go on this journey? Like, imagine what yeah. it could look like if you stepped into this journey. It's always invitational. And so, and so, I'm super mm. excited for this last week on fear, just to wrestle with some of those questions there. Because to me, like when I look at how I operate a lot of the time in lots of ways, like fear is an easy journey. Would you say fear is a liar? I'd say fear is a liar and we should sing that song and sing it loudly because it is a liar. <laughs> um, most of the time I can hold multiple fears and and none of them, uh, they're, they're never compatible. They can't all happen at the same time. Like, and I'll have like, I'll have a process where I say, but what if this happens and what if this happens and what if this happens? And in the end I have to look at it and say, one of them might happen, but they can't all happen. Like that's just <laughs> not possible. Um, uh. And again, like hopefully just this would be the last week I do on emotions. You're going to wrap it up, which I'm super excited for. But but hopefully just give us this sense of so many of these things are tied together. And God, the, the, the message of the New Testament is constantly take a step towards Jesus. He longs for you to be whole, um, which is a good message. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to um, offer people before we... T- sign off i can't think of a single thing i feel like we talked around that subject and it was good pretty pretty thorough um i think well i think we we touched i I think i touched again i would say for some people if this is a repeated pattern that you see in yourself actually we love sitting down with people i love doing pastoral counseling i never say no to meeting with someone once um but usually then the conversation goes one of different places just because of what my time looks like and what my gifts are. 
uh, usually it leads to uh, there's probably a group to join or a class to be part of or a, a professional right. counselor yeah. that we'd love to connect you with. And we have some people in the church that are willing to do some of that. Like if, if money is a stress, they're willing to think about doing that for a rate that they can work around. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of them will even do some like work for us that is, that is free because, because it is just so important. And so just like the medication conversation. Yeah. Maybe there's a season for you to say, now I'm going to actually unpack some of these things because I've been working through this emotion for a long time. Yeah. So what if like, let me just ask this hypothetical question and let maybe let this haunt you. If, if you're going through a season of particular sadness now, or if you tend to just live there your whole life, what if, what if that sadness is an invitation from God on a journey? Mm. And what if that journey could start now? It could have, along the journey, you may meet a counselor. You may change your diet. You may go to a chiropractor. You like, it It could be like, maybe you need more sunlight. Mm -hmm. I know that my wife, like one of the reasons why we love Colorado is like both of us operate better when we get a little bit of sunlight, yeah. you know, and all of those things. Um, so, but what if it's an invitation to a journey? Because a, I think a the destination of that journey could be a human being who is um, deeply familiar with the sorrows of life mm. and therefore able to guide others mm. and able to enjoy the beauties of life at a different yeah. level and than someone else. Sometimes it just takes like the right thing. Like I, and again, this is the story that I think we can end on. I, I had this, this moment. Um, I, I've played golf since I was nine. And I've had different seasons where I've played lots and seasons where I've practiced hard, seasons where I practiced and got worse, seasons where I practiced and got better, seasons where I didn't play at all and then felt like I would play pretty well. But always some frustrations with like physical limitations. And then uh, I, I went and played a few games with people that I've played with regularly over the years. Uh, and um, uh, and multiple times people were like, dude, like, what did you do? Uh, like your swing is just, you're like a different animal out there. You're just like, there's like a, a release and a fluidity to your game that I've just never seen from you before. I'm, it's literally like I'm watching a different person play this sport. Huh. Um, and, and, and actually like not to shout out chiropractors twice, but that was the key for me in that respect. Like just the way that they changed where my hips were aligned suddenly it allowed me this release and I was hitting the ball further. My swing was better. It was effortless. I could, you mean I could play disc golf better. You could theoretically play disc golf better. And it was just, to me, it was this microcosm of how something can unlock a key for you that helps you just, just live in a different and better way. Yeah. So don't let, don't so, let the emotions just haunt you. Yeah, let them be keep, an invitation. Keep working with those things. I love it. We got to go. I yeah, love it too. Probably. You know, last week we had all these comments. Mm, we interacted we with people. It's it's sadness. No one wants to talk to us about sadness. We're Why just... doesn't anyone want to talk to us about sadness? No <laughs> questions. Maybe I just need to refresh the page and see what's happening. There's, watch, there's like 35 questions <laughs> and I just didn't refresh the window properly. It no, just makes no me, questions. I just have all these doubts and fears and anxiety <laughs> and sadness that's no one, counselor, that no one's worry. paying attention. I'm just joking. All uh, right. We're we're gonna sign off actually now. See Catch you guys. Later. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that, that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.